And so let's continue reading about that as we go into John chapter 3. John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 22 through all the way to the end of 36. And if you're new with us, or you're just joining us, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John. And the reason why, because this book was written so that you would believe. Everything that we have in this book, in the Gospel of John that's written, is all about not only the life of Christ, but why is it that we should believe in Him? What is it about Jesus that's different? What is it about Him that is so miraculous and so wonderful and is, is something that we should be fully invested in? And so as we've gone through this book, we've talked about some of the different ways that God has used uh, John the Baptist, for example, in, in helping to prepare the way for Jesus as He's entered the scene. We talked about Jesus' first miracle, and we've talked about this conversation He has with Nicodemus where you can't just be someone who comes up and says a prayer. It's not just doing the right thing. It's not going to church or praying a lot. It's truly being born again. Being made brand new, and that only happens through Christ. And then we talked last week, or a couple weeks ago, about one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And talked about that verse and talked about how miraculous and spectacular the Gospel truly is. And so now, as we get into the very end of John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the end of John the Baptist's life. Now, for some of you, that may sound a little stark and a little sad, because we're talking about the end of somebody's life. Because we're looking not only at the end of his ministry, but shortly after this, John the Baptist is then killed. And so, what we have here are really the last words that John the Baptist ever spoke. And so, in looking at it, it seems a little, little sad and daunting to see such a big character that we saw in the beginning of John chapter 1 coming to an end. But my hope for this morning is that you're going to see how John the Baptist lived his life and how John the Baptist chose to end his life. Not giving up his ministry. Not taking a step back and just saying, okay, well now that Jesus is here, I don't have anything left to do. But rather, continuing to be obedient to what God called him to to the end. And John the Baptist is truly someone who exalted Christ in all things. And that's my message for this morning. Is that we are to exalt Christ in all things. Meaning that we are to lift Jesus up above all things. That He is to be the most important thing to us in all things. So if you have your Bibles, John 22, or John 1, 22-36 says this, And after this, Jesus and His disciples went into the Judean countryside, and He remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing near Enon and Salem because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness to me, and I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. 
He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for all of the things that we've read and, and talked about up to this point. God, we're grateful that you, in your sovereignty and your love for us, God, you, you sent people out before Jesus to prepare the way for him. God, we're grateful for John the Baptist and his, and his ministry. And God, I pray this morning as we look at the way that he responds to those who are frustrated and concerned that his ministry is dwindling, God, I pray that we would adopt an attitude like John the Baptist. Father, not feeding into jealousy or discontentment, but God, that we would look at his humility and God, look at the way that he put you above all things. And God, I pray that that would be something that we would adopt and put into our own lives. God, that we would see, Father, not only how we should put you above all things, but God, why we should put you above all things. Father, I pray for everyone in this room this morning, God, that you would just work in our hearts and God, that you would help us to see you and know you. And Father, to recognize why you should be put first in our lives in everything that we do. So God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for this time to study it together. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So if you look at this passage, it's kind of broken down into two different sections. The first is we look at John the Baptist's attitude in ministry. And the second thing we see is why we exalt Jesus. Why Jesus should even be exalted or put first in any of our lives in the first place. And so we're going to be in this passage, but we're also going to be jumping a little bit in Colossians 1. I don't have those slides on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, make sure you have those in, or your phone or uh, whatever it is you use uh, for that. Uh, you can go ahead and bookmark that because we'll be in that a little bit later on. But when we look at the very beginning of this, we see that Jesus and his disciples are doing ministry. So at this point, he's gaining more of a following. He's gaining more people that are, that are pursuing after Jesus. They're recognizing who he is, and Jesus is beginning to build up his ministry. But see, John the Baptist isn't over. He, he's, not, he's not done doing his thing. You would think that because John the Baptist is kind of the precursor to Christ, that now that Jesus is on the scene, John the Baptist would just go, all right, cool, now I can retire. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. Jesus is here. I did my job. We're good. We're great. But John the Baptist continues on in his ministry because there's still a need. The reason why John the Baptist does what he does is to draw people to Christ and to help them to see that they need to repent and they need to be made anew in Jesus. And so there's still a need for John the Baptist. There's still a, a, a ministry for him to continue on, even with Jesus now here on the scene. And so we're at this place where he's now having a discussion because his, his ministry is beginning to dwindle. As Jesus' ministry is increasing, John the Baptist's will naturally decrease. And so there's this discussion that takes place in verses 25-30 through 30 about 
purification and John's disciples and, and a Jew are talking about this and then they go up to John they ask him, are you not concerned about what's going on with Jesus? See, they recognize that Jesus' ministry is growing, that people are going to Him and they're saying, John, everyone's going to Jesus. That He's baptizing people. He's doing all this other stuff. And, and people are leaving our ministry and going over there. What do you think about this? They're concerned. They're jealous. They're envious of what's happening. They express this concern. And, and we look at this and look at the Scripture we go, that's kind of silly, isn't it? How, how is it that, that you should be concerned or jealous or envious over, a, uh, over Jesus gaining more people and you losing people? That doesn't make sense to us, right? Like Ultimately, as, as Christians, we would want people to know the Lord. And in this circumstance, we see people or we see His followers becoming frustrated by this. And so He answers them and responds with, with, with different ways for them to understand why this is a good thing. That it's a good thing that Jesus is gaining more followers and John the Baptist is losing him. John the Baptist is becoming irrelevant. And in, in most circumstances, at least for at least us, we would become frustrated by that. If we were in a situation where we became irrelevant or we became less important or less needed, there's this natural frustration or enviness that comes from us for people that are being more desired or held as more important. But in John the Baptist's case, he answers and gives us this attitude that we should truly adopt in every aspect of our life because John the Baptist truly knew and understood what it meant to exalt Jesus in everything, even at the cost of his own life. So let's look at his responses to his disciples. Verse 27 says this, John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So the first thing that John does in talking about this, this frustration, this concern that his disciples had, was kind of putting them in check and saying, hey, everything that's given is given by heaven. Meaning that the ministry that John the Baptist has is something that God himself has entrusted him with. God has entrusted John the Baptist with the ministry he's been given. And John understood that his calling was given by God, and that John the Baptist is not an owner of that ministry, but he's a steward of it. That God's purposes for John's ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. John the Baptist understood that his ministry was not about him. It was not something that he owned. It was not something that he created. It was something that God himself gave to him and entrusted him with. He was not an owner. He was a steward. And if you know anything about stewardship or you know anything about those sorts of things, whenever you don't own something and someone asks you to take care of something, you take a greater care and concern for it. Right? And you, 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 you understand that, okay, I'm not the owner of this. I need to, to understand what is it that the owner of this wants and desires. Because their desires and what they want is more important than what you want. So here's kind of an example of that. So last night, I was coming home and... Uh, and uh, we're, I, was, I was bringing in groceries, and this little bitty dog just shows up in our, at, like, at, at, at my feet. And I'm like, okay, that, that's weird. And this dog almost follows me in the house. And so I was like, all right. I, I go down, I look, and the dog has a collar and has a name and has identity. And the dog is not my own. And so uh, we call the owner, and we wait for the owner to get there. But, but something that I was tempted to do was go, okay, well, I, I could feed the dog. I could give the dog water. And obviously, we gave the dog water because that's what you do. But... I started to think to myself, well, what if, what if this dog 
doesn't eat this kind of food. What happens if I give this dog food and it has an allergic reaction and dies? Like, I was just, I was terrified and mortified by that thought. But then I thought to myself, well, I can't, I can't bring the dog inside because we have cats and our cats are kind of aggressive towards our big dog and this is a little bitty dog. I can't, I can't do that either. I began to consider different ways to care for this dog in ways that were different than the way I care for my own. Because that dog didn't belong to me. That dog was not mine. It was cute. And uh, his name was Murphy, and he was super sweet and kind, but that wasn't my dog. And so because Murphy was not my dog, I needed to take really good care of him for that owner, owner because he wasn't my responsibility. But in that moment, at that time, this dog was under my care, and I had a responsibility to ensure that, that this dog got back to its owner and this dog was healthy. John the Baptist understood that the ministry that was given to him was not John the Baptist to own. Yes, he made decisions and he was responsible for growing it, but ultimately at the end of the day, the ministry that he was entrusted with was given by God. And so John the Baptist had a responsibility, but his responsibility well, it was not to himself. It was to God. And what God wanted for his ministry. And God's ultimate purpose for John the Baptist's ministry was that people would be pointed to Jesus and that people would not follow John the Baptist. And so John understood that. He recognized that the most important thing in his ministry was not himself, but it was God. And listen, we look at the way that the, the, um, the disciples get frustrated about people leaving John the Baptist's ministry and going to Jesus and we think, oh, we'd never do that. But I can tell you as somebody who's worked with other churches and has been in seminary that I hear this all the time. I hear churches and ministries and people getting frustrated that other churches are growing. I hear things like, why is that church growing and we're not? Or why does that church get asked to do things more than we do? Or when I was in seminary, I heard this a lot and this was really frustrating. I can't wait for God to call me to somewhere bigger and better or closer to the city or uh, where I can do this 100% full-time and have retirement. And I, I, like, seriously, I would, I would be in school and I would hear some of these guys who are aspiring to pastor talk in this way, almost treating church like it's a corporate stepping ladder. Like, oh, maybe I'll go serve here for a little bit and then I'll get enough experience that I can go to this big place. And it's frustrating because that's not the right attitude to have about ministry. Now, granted, one of the things I said was, why is that church growing and we're not? I do think there's a level to it where we need to recognize when ministry becomes ineffective and needs to be adjusted. There is a level of that where we have to ask ourselves, if we're not growing, what is it that we are doing that we could be doing differently or better? Right? I think there's a level of that. But then there's another degree where God may be having you lead or serving where you are for a reason. Right? For example, we here at First Baptist Greenland, we have a, a, a different area that we minister to than maybe a church like First Baptist Fayetteville, right? In the, in the heart of, of Fayetteville, reaching college students in, in a very super well-populated area. They're going to reach different people. They're going to reach an entirely different, different, different kind of person than we will, right? They're going to reach more college students. They're going to reach people that live in that area. And for us, we're in Greenland. We're going to reach people that are here in this area. But that's not a bad thing. 
Right? When I was a college student at the BCM, guys, I'll be honest, like, I got frustrated about this a lot. Because I'd be involved at the BCM and all these other college students would be going to UBC or Cross Church or FBC Fayetteville. And I would get frustrated like, why aren't you guys coming to Greenland? It's just right down the road. It's just a short drive. But my frustration was that my own desires weren't getting met rather than seeing that these churches were helping these college students become disciples and sending them out to do ministry. These churches God had put in places and in circumstances where they were able to minister directly to these students on campus. See, we at First Baptist Greenland, we were in a different circumstance. Although maybe we didn't have a bunch of U of A college students coming here, we had people that lived in this area that were here, that were involved. God has placed this church in this community to reach this community. This church is uniquely gifted to reach the people here in Greenland and in the surrounding area. Just as much as God has uniquely gifted churches that are close to the college to reach college students. It's a unique gifting. It's a stewardship of ministry that, that God has entrusted us with and we are to do those things well. To not grow frustrated when we try to compare ourselves to others. My wife, when we were first dating, told me this all the time, that comparison is the thief of joy. And although we can learn from some other churches and learn to see how we can do ministry better, we need to understand and know that God puts us where we are when we are for a reason. And He uses it for His glory and to grow His kingdom. And when exalting God and drawing people to Christ is central in our pursuit, then we begin to see ministry rightly. That ministry is not ours alone. It's not ours alone, but it's God's. And He has entrusted it to us. So God, John understood that his ministry belonged to God and not to himself. John understood that this ministry first belonged to God before it belonged to him. So the second thing he says in verse 28, You yourselves bear witness that I've said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He reminds them that this is the reason for his ministry. That he was the forerunner to prepare the way for Christ. Again, this was the whole reason why John the Baptist was here. He was here to prepare the way for Jesus. So ultimately, he wanted to work himself out of a job. That was the point. His point was that Jesus would be exalted, that Jesus would gain all these people, and John the Baptist would lose people. That was the whole point. He had to remind them of that, that it's not about John the Baptist growing a bunch of followers. It's about Jesus. That also means that with John the Baptist, there are no sacred cows with him. Meaning that everything in his ministry is ready to be changed for the purposes that God calls him to. That if the purpose of his ministry is to lead people to Jesus, then that means that the things that he does is intentional about leading people to Jesus. Now maybe you're asking this question, well, Dustin, what does this have to do with those who aren't in ministry? Maybe, maybe you're working a secular job or maybe you don't have a, a role that you're serving in the local church. But at the end of the day, Church, our lives are to be situated to a point where we seek to glorify and exalt Jesus in everything that we do. Meaning with the way that we utilize our jobs, the way that we interact with those around us, the way we interact with our family. All those things are not to point our people to ourselves, but to point people to Jesus. Because listen, your job, they'll replace you within a month. I, I, I was reading um, I was I, I, 
I was reading this book called The Pathway to the Pastor, and one of the things it talks about was how churches have a hard time finding pastors maybe quicker than corporate offices find people, right? Like, you, listen, I work, I work for county government, and if we lose somebody, we replace them normally within the month. Like, it, it happens pretty fast. But with churches, it's a longer process. But even in then, one of the things it talked about was how pastors will sometimes put their church before their family. And one of the things I read in there that I'll, I'll never forget was that a church can always find another pastor. Your family doesn't always get another husband or father. And that hit home because it's like, you know, I love being here at First Baptist Greenland and I love pastoring this church. But my, my first responsibility is to my family to steward my care and love for them well. And so for you, in your own lives, you are to work on how you can exalt Jesus in where you are now. Maybe you're somebody who's working a secular job, or maybe you're a student at school, whatever the case may be. Your goal should be that you want to exalt Jesus and make Him number one in whatever it is you're doing. It changes the way you respond to people. It changes the way you look at your job. It changes the way you look at your family. Because you begin to see the things that you maybe thought were most important aren't. Right? Like finances and, and worldly comforts are, are fleeting and temporary. But eternal life with Jesus is forever. That's where we find our true and ultimate joy. And so although these may be ministry-related things for John the Baptist's life, church, these are things for you to consider too in your own lives. God has put you where you are for a reason. God has entrusted you with the level of responsibility with the things that you have in your life, whether it's people, whether it's your job, whether it's your finances, whatever it is, we are to steward those things well for the glory of God. And then, the third thing he does is he uses a wedding illustration to drive his point home. He rejoices as the best man in a wedding does for his friend, the groom. Ministry and living faithfully is not about us, it's about Jesus. This means when we see other churches, ministries, or leaders thriving and leading others to Christ, our reaction should not be sorrow, but joy. That should be our response. And listen, I used to film a lot of weddings. I used to do that as a little, as a little side gig, and uh, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> in case anyone was wondering if I do, I do not. It's, uh, it's not for me anymore. But when I would do it, you know, my focus with my camera was never on the best man. It was never on the best man. Whenever the bride is walking down the aisle, do you think my camera is focused on what the best man is doing? No. My camera is focused on the bride and the groom. Those are the two most important people at a wedding. And in every one of my wedding videos, I had to make sure that no matter what else happened, my camera was focused on those two individuals. Because the wedding is about the unification of a husband and wife getting together uh, in front of the people they love and in front of God to make that uh, covenant complete. And so we have to understand that in the same way with us when it comes to our own lives, is that our lives are not about our own pursuits. It's not about us. It's about God. We are here for only a vapor of time. And at some point, we go home to be with the Lord if we belong to Him. And our purpose in our lives now are to be used for His kingdom and His glory. We should be like the best man at a wedding. Or we should be like 
one of the bridesmaids or, or one of the groomsmen rejoicing at the marriage of Christ and His church. And then lastly, he gives this final, this, this, this famous declaration where he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. We've seen that verse a lot. In verse 30, you know, he must increase, and I, but I must decrease. We've seen that maybe on, on, on posts or people talk about how that's one of their main verses is that he must increase, but I must decrease, meaning that Jesus is more important than myself. But really, when we see John the Baptist talking about that in the context of this conversation with his disciples, what he's saying is that for Jesus' ministry to thrive, he must decrease. Meaning that the relevance and the importance of John the Baptist begins to lower. It begins to be lesser. That doesn't mean that John the Baptist doesn't have a role. But it means that he understands that Jesus is the most important thing in his life. And this didn't bring John to sadness, but to joy. And this is the reason why John was called to his ministry. And this statement comes from a clear attitude of humility. John the Baptist was humble about his calling. He was humble in his attitude. And we are to be humble too. Whether at work or school or church, our goal that we, it should be that we exalt Christ in everything we do. So why do we exalt Christ in everything that we do? What, what has He done to earn being the most important thing in our lives. Verse 31-36 through says this, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, this being Jesus, utters the words of God it gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey or does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on Him. So we're given this almost like end cap summary at the end of this passage. Much of this echoes what we read all the way back in the beginning of John chapter 1. And so what I want us to do at this point now is to look at why we are to exalt Jesus in everything we do. What was the point of John the Baptist's ministry? Why did he proclaim that he must decrease and Jesus must increase? What is it about Jesus that causes a man like John the Baptist to put everything out on the line and put Jesus first in everything he does? Well, the first thing is that Jesus is above all. He comes from heaven and not from earth. He is superior and is worthy of worship and honor and praise. Jesus speaks with authority and He testifies to God the Father. Jesus forgives sins and is the only one who can restore us to a right relationship to Himself. No one else in the Bible is able to forgive sins. Only Jesus can. And Jesus came to this earth and He lived a perfect life. A life that you and I can never live. He was faced with temptation Hunger, pain, suffered. But yet, in all of that, He never sinned. He lived a perfect life. And He died the death of a criminal so that we could know God forever. Jesus is God and is able to speak for God and is able to give the Spirit without any limitation. This is very similar to a picture of Jesus we have in Colossians 1. So if you've got your Bibles, 
Turn to Colossians 1 really quick. Verse 15 says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He must be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That is Jesus. That is why we are to exalt Him over all things. He is worthy of worship and honor and praise. He was above all and before all. He in the very beginning in creation was a part of the design of you and I. Jesus knows every aspect of us. Yet He loves us anyways. He knows every wrong thing that anyone has ever done. Yet He loves us anyway. He knew He would be in a world that hated Him. Yet He loved us anyway. And then this chapter ends with a comparison between those who believe and those who don't. And it's simple. Whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever believes this truth and trusts their life with Him have eternal life. It's simple. The Bible teaches that in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That's it. We are to repent of our sin, to turn away from it, and believe. And it's through that that we are made anew and born again. It's not through attending church a bunch of times. It's not about giving a bunch of money. It's not about saying a certain prayer. It's, it's truly trusting in Jesus with your life. And then whoever doesn't do that, whoever doesn't believe, doesn't have eternal life with Him. It's simple. But these things echo back to John 1 when He said, being made children of God who those who believe. Echoing back to John 3 with this conversation with Nicodemus. For you must be born again. Echoing back to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then Colossians 1 continues with this. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. We were once dead, and then we were made alive in Christ. This is the love of Jesus. This is the love that He has for you and me. This is why we are to exalt Him above all things because He is worthy to be exalted. Nobody else on this earth, no other thing on this earth, on this earth it's worth being exalted over anything else in your life. Jesus is the only thing. And ultimately, it brings us ultimate joy. Look at John the Baptist. He exalted Christ over all things. John the Baptist was literally working himself out of a job, becoming irrelevant, heading towards prison, and then death. But yet, in all of that, John the Baptist had joy because of Christ. So at this time, we'll have a time of invitation. 
my encouragement for you this morning is that you are to exalt Christ in all things because He is worthy to be exalted. But I think even more than that too, that in order to exalt Jesus, you truly have to submit to Him and know Him. It's difficult to make someone the most important thing in your life if you don't even know who they are. And so this morning as we have a time of invitation and a time of response, my question for you would be, do you truly know Jesus? Have you truly trusted in Him? And if so, is He the most important thing in your life? Or are you? And maybe you're a Christian this morning and maybe you've struggled with that. Maybe you're struggling with this idea of discontentment and, and not finding joy and, and, and struggling with humility. My encouragement for you this morning would be to pray. To ask God to change that in your heart. Because I know He will. Let's pray and then we'll have our time of invitation. Lord, I thank You so much for today. God, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus. God, we thank You that He is worthy of exaltation. God, that He is above all. God, we pray that You would help our unbelief. God, for anyone in here, Father, who doesn't know You, who has is, who is never... God, confess to their mouth that You are Lord and never truly believed. Father, their life has never been changed by You. God, they've never shown true repentance. God, I pray that You would change that. God, I pray that You would work in their hearts. God, I pray that they would follow after You. Father, I pray for anyone in this room, God, that, that would profess faith in Christ, but God has just been struggling. God, maybe they've been struggling with discontentment or struggling with what it means to put you first or struggling with idols. God, whatever it may be, Father, I pray that you would work in their hearts. God, give them encouragement. God, help them to see you in their lives and the way that you work. And God, I pray that they would trust you. And Father, seek to honor and glorify you in everything that they do with their life. So Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. It's in this holy and precious name we pray. Amen.